I don't ever plan to get back riding a motorcycle as, as a hobby or, or, or racing again, unless I can walk up to it and swing my leg over to it like normal. But what I do have planned is to get into a dirt car. Episode 14, Tank Slapping Podcast. Back at it again. Corey Texter, as always, with Jake Johnson. Jake, what's new in your world, man? Anything good? I guess I guess I'm an, an essential employee nowadays. Been uh, been working a little bit, doing some plumbing, heating, air conditioning work, I guess. So yeah, just trying to trying to fill the fill the void so we can go racing again, which pff, who knows when that's gonna be. Yeah, as far as we know, the plan is for the Red Mile, and I've heard some rumors that there could possibly a dub- be a doubleheader at the Red Mile. But then again, a lot of these states have social distances rules for man another month at least. So it'll be it'll be surprising to me if we end up getting the race the Red Mile because of some sort of government restrictions. But that's the plan right now. I know AFT is working hard to get us back on track and. Yeah, not much new here, man. I mean, say in another week, nothing really changed much. Just trying to ride as much as I can, just ride my bicycle. I've been getting into um, some Strava battles online. A couple local cyclists. I've been pissing off the local local Strava cyclists. So that has been my entertainment for the week. But not much else, man. Just trying to get through it one day at a time, I guess. How the uh, how the lap times coming on uh, PS4? The, the Rossi game. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the first episode we've talked, I was kind of frustrated because I couldn't figure it out. But since then, I have, um, I've, I've figured it out. I, I, uh, I got a, I got a good handle on it. You so. got the, you got the right setup. Got your suspension done. Got, got it figured well, out. Yeah, I was overthinking it, like kind of like I do with real racing, just thinking like, what do I got to do on this setup to get dialed in? And it was just a matter of, I've only been playing the game for two days. Some of these other guys been playing for four years. I didn't really take that into consideration that it would maybe take me a little bit to figure it out. Um, yeah, but uh, I got a good handle on it, and we're hoping to do a PS4 race, actually. We're planning right right now, me and Carter. We're working on some things to have a PS4 race with some sponsors and, and things like that. I don't think we have enough infrastructure to, to do a whole series like the Xbox League is doing, but um definitely do one big cool race with some sponsors and tank slapping podcast of course will be a, a sponsor of it but you got to get the game dude i know you're a busy guy now working but we gotta throw some elbows at uh the rossi ranch dude i have it i got it oh you already got it dude I've had it. I, I got it when it came out like years ago but i haven't played it since then i i have it just haven't you, played it you have live ps4 live i i don't um I mean, we're in a tough time, man. That that nine ninety nine a month. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. I, we have, we're gonna need some more show sponsors. I, well, maybe I could, maybe we can uh, maybe I need a PS four virtual sponsor. R- race sponsor or something. Yeah. But yeah, dude, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a little afraid of the uh, the virtual racing thing. I mean, there's you know what was it? Uh, Kyle Larson just got whew, done. So, you, yeah, said some said some bad things, you know, and yeah, it, he might not, not race good. NASCAR again. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's that too. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a. I mean, obviously he messed up. He shouldn't have said what he said. But 
yeah, you get you get racing with your buddies and you forget about it and you just shit flies out of your mouth and man, that's uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, that was it was crazy to hear. I, I saw he was uh, trending on Twitter. I'm like Kyle Larson, why is he trending? Does he have coronavirus or what? What's going on with Kyle Larson? And uh, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, no, yeah. he did it. I was like, wow. So. Yeah, this virtual racing thing's getting pretty serious in the NASCAR world, and uh, it's it's fun, man. We get on, I get on every night, maybe for like an hour, hour and a half, and I'll race with a bunch of the younger amateur flat track kids, and Don Gauthier, and Brandon Kitchen, and there's some other guys that get on and play, Jeremiah Duffy, and we uh, we get the racing. Colby Carlisle was on last night, some of uh, my production twins' uh, did he, rival. Hey, did he wake the bear, or what? Nah, wake I think bear? it was his no? first time playing, he was... He was just kind of, kind of just getting into it, but uh, it was kind of cool. Like it was cool seeing all everybody on, and we have a good time with it. So, um, but some guys do get serious. Like you take them out, they get pissed off. Like you can easily make Dalton Gautier pretty mad just by taking him out in the video game, <laughs> and then like one of the little kids they'll go in, they'll take me out on the on the headsets. They're like, "Oh, Corey, I'm sorry, I didn't see you." I'm like, "Dude, it's cool. It's a it's a video game. Like I don't care." Like. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fun. It it's, gives me something to do at nighttime while Amber and my wife is watching Ozark. I couldn't get into it, dude. I know Carter is a big fan of the show, but I just couldn't get into it. So I was uh, I got into the PS4 world a little bit. So um, before we get too far into it, want to shout out our sponsors that make this happen: Garancer Motorsports. They're an Indian and Harley Davidson motorcycle service performance and pre-owned sales dealership in Elkhart, Indiana. They have 55 plus years of experience running a dealership, and they are also a sponsor in flat track of the Coolbeth Nilla race team, who uh, is sponsoring Sammy Halbert this year with Kenny Coolbeth as, as the crew chief. Visit their website, GrandsonMotorsports.com. Follow them on social media. We post about them quite often on our pages. They have a lot of stuff they're they're offering and selling and things like that. So uh, appreciate all those guys for um, sponsoring us, Charlie, Lou, Coleman, the whole family. Um, back at it again with our show is Mike Hacker at Presidential Mortgage. Mike does a great job with what he does. If you need a home loan, refinance, or home equity line of credit, contact Mike at mike.hacker at presidential.com. Uh, if you don't know much about that stuff, if you're looking to buy a house, if you have questions, Mike's the guy to call. He, he can help you out with all that. He's, he's helped out a lot of racers buy homes and, and uh, refinance and things like that. And our newest sponsor is the Vancouver Flat Track Club. VFTC is a group of friends who like to go fast. They host flat track races at the Pemberton Speedway, located between Whistler and Pemberton on Highway 99 in British Columbia up in Canada. Check out their website, VancouverFlatTrackClub.com, for some history, results, schedule, and check out a race in the near future. I know they're waiting, playing the waiting game like we all are on when the races are going to happen, but check them out on social media. And, and yeah, give them a follow and go support their races once we get underway here. But yeah, Jake, it's uh, it's exciting tonight. We got a pretty awesome guest. He's a rider, man. That guy can ride motorcycles, and it's Brad Baker, man. He's he's coming on the show tonight. I'm excited. Yeah, the bullet. Yeah, we've uh, we've actually had some pretty good battles with that guy over the years. And uh, well, I, well, yeah, I guess shit went. Uh, what was it 2012 was his rookie year 2011 he won the championship in 13 and i think it was only his second or third year as an expert wasn't it um yep. pretty yep. pretty quick and 
I think it was his rookie year. I mean, we had we had a pretty serious battle at uh, Salinas TT. I got the whole shot, kind of checked out, and Brad ran me down at the end. Luckily, it was, you know, he was a rookie and got hyped up and kind of made a rookie mistake, and he passed me, and I had nothing for him. And uh, with, like, two laps to go, he tipped over and crashed and uh, got up and ended up getting second. I won the race, and, like, man, whew. You know, that was that was one of those deals that was like, yeah, I, I didn't have anything for him, and uh, I, I was lucky that uh, that he was young and, and made that mistake. But no, I've, I've had some good battles with, with Brad over the years, and uh, everything he's done, you know, speaks for itself. But yeah, it's good to good to catch up with him, and uh, always good talking with him and uh, see what's going on. Obviously, I got to see him for a second in Daytona. Um, he came by and said hi, so uh, it'd be good to catch up with him and see. Uh, see what's going on, see what he's up to and, um, you know, see how things are going. Yeah. He's one of those guys that he's done things on a motorcycle that makes your jaw drop. I mean, it's, uh, they don't make too many talents like Brad Baker. I mean, you, you watch him, some of his highlight videos and it's like, golly, dude, that guy can ride a damn motorcycle. So we'll get some insight from him. Um, his injury, uh, happened a couple years ago. So we'll talk, talk to him a little bit about that. And, uh, just kind of go over some things that you might not know about Brad Baker. Um, he's been in quite a few interviews and things like that. We're going to, we're going to dig a little deeper and see what we can get out of him and have some fun with it. We did get a fan, a couple fan questions. It was pretty much the same question. They were kind of curious on how rider payouts work. You know, I, we've discussed rider payouts and Jared Meese was talking about some stuff when he was a rookie and splitting everything 50, 50. And a couple of fans wanted to know, how do we get paid, Jake? And honestly, every rider's different. There's a ton of different different programs in place. But, yeah, I mean, Meese talked about when he was a rookie, it was 50-50 split right down the middle. Everything he would make, he'd give half to Johnny, and then he'd keep half of it. And that's kind of standard for riders coming up through the ranks. It's good when you're trying to get, you're trying to get a ride, yet you're a good rider, but you're not completely established yet. You know, you hey, you ride your bike, we'll split the purse evenly. Um, and then sometimes either the rider or that team or the owner will cover gas and tires. It all depends on how things are laid out. And then uh, at the top level, obviously, teams get paid salaries, mechanics, crew members, um, different teams, obviously, different levels. It's all different, Jake. But, yeah, I just kind of wanted to touch upon that a little bit and get your thoughts on it too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty spot on. Um I remember when I was a rookie, got a ride with Maroney's and uh, had a had a sponsor, a friend of mine, uh, Tom Norton, that that actually kind of helped out a lot, um, helped out with some, you know, some bikes and some, you know, some expenses towards the team. But man, 50 50 split. That's man. Jared. Jared did better than I did. I, I think I was only 45 percent. Um, I think at the time. What was uh, riding from Maroney's? Rich Hansen was my mechanic, and uh, 10% came right off the top, went to Rich, um, you know. So, and then me and Pat split the rest. So, really, I only got 45%. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's how it works. You, you kind of have to, uh, you know, you got to kind of earn your keep and, and, uh, you know, kind of start at the bottom and work your way up. But yeah, like you said, I mean, you kind of start with that and, um, you know, then got that ride with Suzuki, uh, you know, obviously came along with a salary and, and, uh, you know, purse and contingency, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it, there's, 
there's so many different variables, so many different deals. It's, it's kind of, kind of crazy. Um, I mean, obviously like a lot of things that kind of play into that, um, you know, with some of the smaller teams is like tires and fuel. Some, some teams want you to either find a sponsor or whatever to, to cover tires and fuel. And we're going to split the purse and, you know, or split contingency, however it works. There's just, uh, yeah, there's, there's so many different ways to go about it. Um, and so, so many different ways it works. Um, yeah. So it, it's kind of hard to, you know, put, uh, put one explanation on that. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't really rely on just purse money to make a living in the sport. Cause honestly, the AFT purse is actually pretty good compared to some of the other racing series out there. I mean, MotoGP, they don't even have a purse. Everything's done on endorsements and things like that. And with the way our TV coverage is right now and how much notoriety American flat track is getting, it's a good time to put together endorsement deals with your sponsors and podium bonuses and top 10 finish bonuses. You know, I think some of these top athletes, most of their earnings are through endorsements and bonuses and, and contingencies and things like that. So yeah, it, all, it just all depends what program you have in place. Jake says, you know, it, it varies from rider to rider, whatever you're willing to work out. I've had deals where it's been 50, 50. I've had deals where, I gave my mechanic 20% of whatever we want and it kind of gave him some incentive to get the bike as well as he could make it because the better I did, the better he got paid. So on our good days, he really got paid well. And on our bad days, we didn't get paid shit, either one of us. So yeah, it's, it just varies, but no, it's a good question. And not a lot of people talk about us. So I'm glad we could touch upon a little bit and yeah, so far there's been a uh, something else I wanted to talk about. I've gotten a few emails and and some comments on social media. Just a quick disclaimer: uh, this is an unfiltered podcast, and we've already cur- said a couple curse words so far in this episode. Uh, we're not Howard Stern by any means, but the reason for this podcast was to, you know, so the fans can get to know the riders without any rules or guidelines. You know, more often than not riders me and jake we're we got to be robots on the podium and in 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 interviews and we try too hard to be politically correct so we curse sometimes i grew up in a harley shop and so yeah sorry if we've kind of rubbed people the wrong way but this uh this podcast is unfiltered and we kind of just say what's on our mind and i mean shit carver cursed more than (laughs) we've all cursed carver was the first to drop an f-bomb well, yeah. he's he's going in the the tank slapping Hall of Fame for the first to drop an f bomb. I yeah. thought it was going to be me, but he beat me to it. He dropped so. the first ten. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was good. But no, I mean this this isn't the New York Times people. It's a podcast. I mean, it's uh it's supposed to be a personal thing and enjoyable. And yeah, I mean you're gonna get raw, unfiltered, and honest opinions every episode. Stuff that you may not want to hear, but you probably need to hear. And if you are into that sort of thing, then keep listening because this is the show that you want to be listening to. So. Yeah, or or I mean, if we can get some more sponsors, we can we can pay Carter a little more to to put some bleeps in there and and kind of censor it for us. But yeah, we're not we're not to that point yet. Yeah, that, that's way, way too much for Chris. Chris, you know, <laughs> we were not going to ask him to do that. So yeah, his plate. He has <laughs> He's a full got plate. it. Yeah, he's got enough to to deal with uh, Corey's technical difficulties and <laughs> and all that going on. So, yeah. Well, let's get into it. Let's call Brad the Bullet. He's uh from the Pacific Northwest, but now he resides in Michigan. So let's give him a call and see what he's up to. Carter, give Bullet a call. What are you drinking, Jake? Miller. Not bad. 
Not bad. Hello? Brad Baker. What's up, man? Corey Texter, Jake Johnson here. How are you? Doing good, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Is everything uh, everything going well up there during the this uh, downtime? You uh, keeping yeah. busy and staying sane? Trying to, at least. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, Michigan is one of the hot spots for the virus right now. So uh, we've been on lockdown pretty much like everybody else has been since uh, later March. Um, but uh, luckily, I've been able to keep busy. Uh, therapy's still open for me, so I still go to therapy three days a week and do things here at home and got some other projects that I've been working on. So uh, really, it's just kind of like been an extended winter for me, really. Yeah, how much uh, how much of your day has changed since this has all happened? I mean, um, anything significantly different? You you miss anything? Kind of like any favorite restaurants you, you used to go to? I mean, what what's the biggest difference for life in the Brad Baker uh, life right now? Um, you know, obviously this time of year we should be going to the races, so that's obviously different. But uh, you know, compared to like winter time before Daytona, really. Not a whole lot. I mean, uh, obviously, Kelsey, my fiance, she's a registered nurse, and she's on the front lines of this whole deal at the uh, hospital, one of the biggest hospitals in Michigan down by Detroit. So I get to hear quite a few crazy stories from her. But uh, since she's still able to go to work and I'm still able to go to therapy and said still got uh, some other uh, projects and stuff that I've been working on, really – not a whole lot's changed compared to what normal winter time would be. Uh, definitely miss going out to some restaurants, but uh, Kelsey, she cooks 90% of the time, and is uh, I, I prefer her cooking over going out anyhow. So uh, it's it's been pretty pretty okay for me actually. Yeah, yeah, man, that's that's crazy. I, I give her a lot of credit. I mean, obviously, what's what's happening is is. Uh, something none of us have ever seen before. And like I said, I mean, okay. she's, she's on the front line. So, um, yeah, prop, props to her for, you know, I mean, that's, that's what we need right now. And, uh, props to her for, you know, take, taking care of everybody and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to get this thing over with so we can get, get back to normal life or, or whatever the new normal is going to be. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jake. I mean, thank God for, for Kelsey and, and other healthcare workers alike. I mean, if it wasn't for them, there there wouldn't be anybody to, to take care of all the people in need right now. And it's, uh, it's scary. I mean, there's, there's, you know, nurses and, and doctors that are having to quarantine themselves from their families. And it's, uh, you know, they're, they're definitely got the hardest impact uh, of anybody out of this other than the people that are actually affected by it. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I'm worried about her, obviously, but uh, she's doing her job and she's she's being a badass and doing it. So, uh, I just hopefully this this uh, virus gets under control more soon than later, and and yeah, we can get all back to normal and uh, we don't have to worry about our loved ones anymore. Yeah. Yeah, let's uh let's go back, you know. Um I mean, I don't know uh, a whole lot of uh you know the story of the the young Brad Baker. Um obviously, you know, when you when you 
started in the pro singles class and um you know late years amateur obviously started hearing the name and and uh knew knew you're going to be a, a big up and comer but uh but yeah let's talk a little bit about uh, growing up in the pacific northwest and uh you know s- some of the guys you had to race race with as an amateur um I know there's, uh, you know, a lot of guys that came from that area, obviously Joe Cop, Sammy Halbert, um, you know, all uh, a little bit older than you, um, but obviously had to race with, <laughs> race with those guys at, at one time or another. But, uh, yeah, I mean, who was, uh, you know, who was one of your, your biggest, uh, rivals, uh, you know, as an amateur and, um, one of the guys that challenged you every week. Yeah, I mean, luckily for me, growing up in the Northwest, that it was it was an amazing spot for a flat track racer to really grow up racing, because we had, you know, a, a big handful of great riders uh, to grow up with. I mean, uh, really, my my number one fierce rival from from Washington is JD Beach. I mean, we uh-huh. grew up from riding on 65s really we didn't really ride uh together on 50s because he's just a little bit older than me but we started out racing on 65s and we had um probably at least two to three indoors and still you know still have like two to three indoors in the pacific northwest which is awesome for the winter time for flat trackers that still continue to be able to race for as like other parts of the country shut down because obviously weather and not having indoors. So lucky yeah, for, for the Northwest having indoors, we were able to continue the race year round. And so, yeah, from the little indoor barn burners, uh, Oakwood arenas, one where basically all of us cut our teeth between JD and I and the Halberts and uh, any other really great racers, especially that came out of Western Washington. We all grew up racing there, but uh, yeah, heck JD and I had, some amazing battles uh, all the way until we were on 450s in the amateur ranks and then really went into the pro ranks at the same time. But, uh, you know, there's obviously Jacob Lehman and, uh, you know, my brother Scott um, and then like a handful of other riders that, you know, didn't necessarily make it out of uh, Washington but still, you know, race locally in in Washington today like uh, the Faye brothers, Mickey Faye's sons. Um, and then we had a lot of good pro riders to look up to. Obviously, Joe Kopp was a grand national champion. Actually, my first year on a 50 uh, when I went back to Indianapolis for the Amateur Nationals was 01, which was the year that he had the number one plate. So it was pretty cool having him be the honoree for my uh, first year at the Amateur Nationals uh, with him being from Washington. So that was cool. And then yeah, obviously I had had the Halberts to to watch and Kyle Ragsdale and a couple other national numbers that came out of Washington and it really eventually got to like when I was 14 at the indoors that's when they started letting me ride pro when I was 14 so I got a got a taste of the big especially like riding with uh with Sammy especially I got a taste of what it was like to uh the, the slam with Sam <laughs> and an indoor at an early age. And I, I, I really feel like that, uh, really put the aggression in me at, at a young age. But, uh, but then we were also lucky. Like we had the, the amateur nationals, the Northwest amateur nationals, whereas central California was only, you know, 12 hours South of us. So we'd have one year, we'd have the amateur nationals at Lodi. And then the next year we'd have the amateur nationals at Castle Rock so obviously, you know, like Chad Coe, Stevie Bonzi, uh, Bobby and Anthony Fong and Mikey Martin. I mean, you name of all the, uh, 
the riders, you know, from now came out of central California. So between combining the Northwest with, uh, California riders, like the, uh, the West coast was stacked. So, um, yeah, growing up amateur rider uh, in the Northwest and just on the West coast in general was, uh, was a lot of competition. And I really, what, uh, you know, I owe a lot of that honing me into the rider that I became. Yeah. I watch, um, I watch a lot of the, the videos from the races out in the West coast. And I mean, where I grew up district six, it's a, it's a pretty well-known racing area too. And we have good riders, but, um, it seems like in Washington, you guys get aggressive and there's not really a lot of hurt feelings. Like y'all like run each other's legs over, you slam into one another. It gets pretty serious. And I'm like, if that shit happened around here in Pennsylvania, there'd be guys fighting in the pits and like, out there it's just another day at the office so you guys have um a different temperament out there than i think the riders from pennsylvania do um you know the the halberts and then yourself and you really don't see guys like you um sammy and um a lot of those guys get slammed into you know they they can dish it out and take it and i think that i don't know it says a lot about your guys's riding style and and things like that but you transitioned from amateur and then you're making your way into the pro or you're, you know, getting yourself ready for the pro ranks. What point in your amateur career, or maybe even your rookie year, did you realize that you could make a career in flat track? Uh, that's a kind of a hard question. I mean, really, I, I had my sights set on making mm-hmm. flat track into a, uh, you know, into my career for the age. I mean, um, especially, when I got onto a 450 as an amateur and, you know, the, the goal is always to, to go for the horizon award before, uh, you know, making it into the pro ranks. And, you know, when I won the horizon award in 08, I was like, okay, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. I'm all my, all my eggs were, were in, in one basket that, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to make a career out of this, you know, I had my mindset on it from the time that I was at 09. So, um, that, that's when I had my, my mind really set on it. But, uh, you know, like after 2009, when I won the pro singles championship, that was really when I was like, okay, I think I really have what it takes to be able to make a, a career out of this. Yeah. I mean, you kind of turned pro at the right time, really. I mean, you mentioned winning the horizon award in 2008 and I think 09 was the first year for the pro singles class. Um, you know, when I was coming up through the ranks, we didn't really have that. I The only option that I had was uh, like the hot shoe series, and it paid like $100 to win like a, a pro hot shoe race. But um, it was kind of cool, like you, Carver, or Spoli, you guys kind of turned pro Shayna all at the right time where 2009 was the start of that class. Um, talk a little bit about their first few years as a pro riding the 450 class and what that experience was like. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Corey. I mean, we were very fortunate to have turned pro at that time. Like you said, it was the inaugural year of, of pro singles. So, like, really, I was, I, yeah, I was gifted to be able to go to every single Grand National and be able to to race from from that age and, and get that experience. So, yeah, going going into Daytona, uh, you know, my first year, uh, I, I was only 16 by like 14 days or something. So I turned. Uh, you know, my birthday's in February. And so I went into Daytona just like really not knowing what to expect. Like, obviously, okay, let's, let's see where I stack up. And, 
you know, luckily it was, you know, a lot of the riders that I'd, I'd grown up racing with, you know, wasn't necessarily like today where you go in and you're racing against veterans in the sport, but obviously was still racing against some, some great riders like, you know, Jeffrey Carver, JD Beach, Rispoli, Shana, and just a handful of all the other riders. And, um, yeah, luckily I, I came out swinging and, and won the, uh, the first race at Daytona and got second the second night and, um, you know, back that up with getting, like nine podiums out of 13 races that year and, and won the championship. And it, it really was just uh, the first year was just all this kind of a, a experience year of, you know, running on all the miles and, and, and being able to watch, you know, the grand national riders on twins and being able to learn from them. And that was probably the biggest thing was just being able to, to watch and learn and just be in that environment really, you know, honed us riders into being able to get experience at that age. So, yeah, I mean, winning the championship uh, in 09, that was, um, you know, super high at 16 years old. And then um, 2010, I, I was looking for a, a, a twins ride. I wanted to go, you know, expert the uh, the following year in, in 2010. It was, you know, that was kind of a more of a low time of flat track where there really wasn't, a, you know, a whole lot of races and not very much really any TV and, um, there just wasn't a whole lot of value in the sport. So I wasn't able to find a, a twins ride. So I decided to just, uh, try to defend my title, uh, the next year in 2010 and Jeffrey Carver really brought the heat that year. And him and I went, went back and forth for, for wins and, and podium spots, you know, at pretty much every single race that year. And, uh, I had one bad race in, uh, I think it was Gas City, Indiana, where I, I crashed on the last last corner. Me and Rispoli were going at it for second and third, and pretty much just that one race, you know, I was always down like 25 to 30 points after that off of Jeffrey. We were so close that it was like we were just one or two positions every weekend. I, I couldn't, you know, reel him back in, but that was also a cool year that, it was the first uh, year that they allowed the pro single class, you know, the top 10 riders from the previous year to have uh, a provisional license to ride with the experts uh, on a twin. And they had uh, three races that year. They had uh, started out at uh, Lake Odessa, I-96, and then did Calistoga, and then the Arizona Mile. They had three races where you could, you know, compete in, in both classes, a pro single class, and then the uh, – expert twins class in, in the same day. And, um, I actually made, uh, yeah, my first expert main event, uh, 17 years old at Lake Odessa riding one of, uh, Nicole Mises backup bikes. And that was, that was a, an awesome night to do that. And then rode for, uh, Tony Dodge for, for Dodge brothers for the first time at, uh, Calistoga, uh, and then Arizona as well. And made, made all three nationals and really was the only rider, in the pro single class to, with a provisional license to make a national and they made all three. So that was, uh, really like, you know, my, my point where I was like, okay, that's, it's definitely time to, to go expert next year. And I feel like I, I can run with these guys. So that was, that was, you know, those two years were, were really monumental on, on, you know, getting me jump started into the, the pro ranks for sure. Didn't dawn on me at first, but you mentioned, you know, racing castle rock and talking about lodi and things like that and it's uh it's kind of wild you know i mean northern california guys i mean they raced at lodi and that's kind of what made them um 
you know, here on the East Coast, at least for me, it was was Trailway Speedway. I mean, that's where we raced, um, you know, two, three times a month when I was an amateur. Um, and I would imagine Castle Rock was was the same, you know, for you. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Uh, you know, Castle Rock, it's kind of a, you know, little slick kind of groove. Obviously, TT, short track. Could be wrong, but I'd imagine that's probably what you grew up racing on most most of your amateur career and yeah, well, how, how did you become such a good cushion rider i mean <laughs> brad baker on a cushion was you know is just like you know how how did you develop because I, I mean northern california northwest i i could be wrong but you probably didn't see a cushion track until you turned professional right i mean how how did you figure that out so quick and and yeah. You know, being like, like I said, Castle Rock is such a, you know, a, a mellow, not mellow, but just like a finesse precision, you know, and cushion is just balls to the wall. And, <laughs> what, you know, when I hear Brad Baker, I think balls to the wall. I mean, how, how did that, how did that all come about? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Jake, because no, you're right. I mean, uh, pretty much anybody on the West coast, we never seen a cushion track until we went to the amateur nationals, whether it was at the coin or Springfield. I mean, that was really the only cushion, you know, half mile or cushion track that we've seen, you know, all year until we went professional. And, um, you know, it, it took me, you know, a little while to, to get fully up to speed, uh, on a cushion. I mean, during the amateur nationals, I mean, I was pretty fast on an 85. As soon as I got onto a bigger bike, even at the amateur nationals, I, I actually kind of struggled. I mean, I wasn't, you know, the fast balls of the wall, Brad Baker that you seen when I was a professional and then like Lima 2009, you know, my rookie year as a pro, I struggled big time. I mean, I got, uh, I think I got ninth and, uh, yeah, I mean, that that struggle. I mean, I I was like, man, where, where am I falling off here? And then the next year, I mean, I never really did any more cushion practice. I mean, really had Lima and, you know, obviously Pomona and really that was it for that year. And then I came back Lima 2010 and I won the thing by eight seconds and it was like something just clicked. I mean, I was just, uh, you know, I pretty much had that 450 wide open all the way around Lima. And, and that's when, uh, Mark Chesa offered me the ride actually for I-96. But, uh, yeah, it was really, yeah, Lima 2010 where just all of a sudden something clicked. And, and, and from that point on, I mean, cushions were, were really my jam. And, uh, and then, yeah, like I don't, and I'm I'm pretty good at the finesse type stuff too. I mean, I, it's but it's definitely the, the type of track that I struggle at, and definitely the type of tracks that I don't like. It's the cushions where you can ride as hard as you possibly can. Those are the ones where I just you know my mouth is watering when I see a racetrack like that. So, <laughs> yeah, it it took me a while, but uh, I eventually caught on to it. Yeah, I think it takes that one good cushion day, like one good result. And then riding cushions is mainly about confidence and having big balls, man. I mean, having testicles the size of grapefruit. I mean, you look at some of the guys that are good on cushions, those guys just send it. And uh, and confidence goes a long way, too, with anything. I think with TTs, too, especially. Like, if you're confident, you go to a TT and you think you got a shot, you're going to be competitive. You go there, even if you aren't a, if you, like, if you are a good rider and you're not confident, um, you know, it definitely hurts you for sure. And that's kind of kind of get into my next question you know you're one of the youngest champions in the history of the sport 
I think the third youngest to be exact. I'm not exactly positive, but I think you're the third youngest champion ever. Um, what do you think is more important at this level? And what do you kind of contribute your championship to having an immense amount of talent or being mentally strong? You've always been a really confident, mentally strong guy. What do you think helped you more in winning that championship? Was it the the talent on the bike or was it the confidence, you know, the, the power in between your ears there that helped you the most? <laughs> I, I think it was really the, the perfect storm in, in 2013 when I won the championship. I mean, uh, yeah, I was really, I was the fourth youngest champion because Jay Springsteen won it twice before me as yeah, Springer man definitely got me there. That guy was a, uh, was crazy talent. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, 2013, it was, it was just a perfect storm. I mean, really, I mean, uh, I believe it's a, a good mix between them all. I mean, obviously you have to have a lot of natural talent. Um, and then, and I think when you're, you're young like that, I mean, I, I feel like you can depend a lot more just on natural talent. I mean, uh, you obviously got to be smart, uh, as well because you, you can't be just throwing it away and, uh, and making dumb decisions. Um, but, uh, and then it was also just the team as well. Like that was, you know, when I hooked up with the, uh, the Athertons and, and Tony Dodge and, you know, especially just the Athertons having Dave Atherton build the XRs and then, uh, having Kevin Atherton as my mentor. And he really, he was my mentor from my rookie year in 2011 when I started riding for the, the Dodge bros and, you know, just having, uh, you know, a good team uh, that, that I really gelled with. And then, uh, yeah, just having a lot of natural talent and, and, and drive. I mean, I just, uh, the, the mental part was, is that I just, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of distractions in my head. I mean, I wasn't thinking about anything other than just how fast I could go. I wasn't worrying about anybody else other than myself. And I, I feel like just having that, no matter who you are, it just goes so far. So, yeah, I think it was just a, a really good combination between everything that just made 2013 a, a magical year, really. Yeah, I mean, when everything clicks, it's it's not easy, but it makes it a lot better, and and it does give you that extra extra confidence and motivation, and you don't question anything. You know, your mechanic can tell you to put the, you know, we're gonna put the front wheel on the back. Yep, let's do it. You know, when you have that trust and and that confidence, and I've been I've been trying to find that <laughs> again. Yeah. You know. It's, it's just one of them things, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's like magic. Um, you know, when it all, when it's all working together and everybody's working together, it's, uh, doesn't get any better than that. But, you know, I guess shortly, shortly after, was it the end of 13 or early 14? Um, you know, they, you went over, you were the first American to go over for the, the super prestigio, uh, in Spain. And what was, I think it was the first year you and Marquez had a little run in and, and uh, yeah. he ended up going down. And but I believe, you know, obviously you went back, uh, you know, a few more times after that. And, um, you know, you guys developed a little bit of a relationship and uh, guys had some good races and, and some fun. Um, uh, what was that like racing with with Mark? I mean, obviously, you know, everybody sees, you know, MotoGP is the is the top level of motorcycle racing. Like F1 is the, the top level of car racing. I mean, what was it like, you know, racing with a guy like that? And, uh, you know, do you guys still, still keep in, in contact today and tell us about that experience? Yeah, that was, 
that was a lifetime experience there. I mean, I was so fortunate to be able to, to go over and then, and then be able to go over several times after that as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty surreal, you know, only still being 20 years old and, and getting invited to come over and race against the, the Moto GP world champ. And, you know, Mark, he's probably the fiercest competitor that I've ever competed against me. And then that's saying a lot because obviously there's a bunch of fierce competitors that, that I've, I've raced against, but uh, the guy is just really unreal on anything, two wheels, whether it be obviously a MotoGP bike to a motocross bike to a flat track bike. I mean, when I went over there in January of 2014, I mean, uh, flat track was, was really foreign to, to Spain at that time or just Europe in general. And, uh, really nobody, nobody was even close other than Mark. I mean, it was uh, like racing with the, the, the beginner class and then, and then there's Mark. So, I mean, that just kind of, and, and he didn't have a whole lot of experience. I mean, he'd done some uh, riding like they have there. He has his own racetrack, Rufea, uh, which uh, is a really nice short track. It's probably similar size to Springfield short track, maybe a little bit smaller, but really smooth reg play. And, and, uh, you know, he'd use that for, for his training. And I believe that's where, you know, he'd kind of gotten a little bit of an upper edge and using flat track as just as a cross train for, for MotoGP. But yeah, like, like you said, we, we did have a run in, uh, that, that first year. I mean, I, I kind of underestimated him. I mean, I was pulling around in a little bit in, in the super final to where I was like, okay, I'm going to race with him for, you know, five, six laps and then I'll be able to break, break free of him and, and, and win this thing and man anytime that I left the door open or, or or just gave him any sort of you know place where he could run it up underneath me and run me wide he, he would I mean he he uh he sent me into the wall one lap and that was when I was like okay uh, I, I see how this guy's gonna play and then he was just taking such a weird line where when I tried to square him up and get underneath him and he shut off the throttle to where he thought he was gonna you know shut the door and I was already there and we collided. And when he went down, I was like, man, I was like, do I just take my bike and ride out of the stadium? You're mobbing me. <laughs> and, uh, like I, I turned around and I was just like, I was gutted because I mean, he went down hard. Like I thought he, I might've heard him. And I was like, Oh my God, that's, that's the last thing that I wanted to come over here and do. And, and luckily he was okay. And, uh, and everybody was just ecstatic. I think I actually gained more fans from doing that than I did if I would have just beat him straight up. So, so that's, that was cool. And then, and he actually respected it too, because obviously you guys see how he races on a MotoGP bike. I mean, sometimes he makes move on a MotoGP bike that we would on an indoor short track. So I was going to say he, um, he handled it pretty well. Like he, yeah. he was, he was, he was having, a, he was having fun. Even after that happened, yeah. he was stoked. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like he, I, so I, I made quite a few really good friends over there. And I guess when he went back to the, the pits, he was, he was pissed. And then, he calmed down. He's like, man, that guy's good. Like he fished it back to me. And like, he, and then he, he came up on the podium right after that. And, and I was like, first thing I said, dude, I'm sorry. He's like, no, 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 dude. Good race. Like he wasn't even bad an eye. So that was, that was just really cool. Like to get that out on the start with, I gained so much respect for him. And then, uh, then every year that we came back, like it, just the, the, 
the game just elevated. I mean, bikes got better. Uh, they, everybody was training. They actually had a series. I mean, then there was more riders that were, 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 were getting faster. And, and, but especially him, like every year, like he does not like to get beat. Like we all don't like to get beat, but he really doesn't like to get beat. And, uh, so every year he came back and, and, uh, you know, he'd train more bikes are better. And then by the last race that I did against him in 2016, I mean, it was a full works edition HRC Honda. And, uh, the thing was badass. And, he, uh, you know, and he just, he took it that much more serious. And I was going over and I was training for, you know, two, three weeks beforehand. I mean, it was, I mean, we were going at it like it was like there's a million dollars on the line, but, uh, you know, I just, it was just so much fun racing, not only with him, but I mean, there was just a handful of other great MotoGP riders and, uh, long track riders and enduro riders and, and not to mention, you know, now, you know, it's uh, my friend Ferran Cardus, who's, uh, you know, the Spanish flat track champion that's, you know, came over and raced now for the last four years on my 450s. And, you know, I'm creating that relationship with him and his family and some other people over there. Like it's, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, something that I'll, I'll always remember and, and grateful for to this day. And, and just having, yeah, lifelong friends and just a connection with, with uh with the motorcycle community in Spain is, is, is something awesome. Do you guys still keep in contact at all since, uh, since they kind of canceled that event a couple of years ago, you guys still talk? Yeah, you know, I, I, I still reach out to him every now and then, you know, wish him happy birthday or, or if he, you know, after a race, tell him good job, you know? And, and, uh, so yeah, we, we still keep in touch a little bit. And then, um, you know, I have some people that within MotoGP that I, I keep in contact with it always like me to come out to go to Coda and see them. And so, yeah, I mean, we keep in contact still and, and, uh, yeah, everybody that I found, you know, you, you idolize these people and you, they are rock stars, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're just motorcycle racers, regular people that, that came from humble beginnings, just like we do, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to, to get to know people at that level. Yeah. I mean, you also got to ride with Nikki Hayden. I mean, I've seen some pictures of you guys riding together. Uh, I think you, you've actually been to Sunset Downs at his private track in Kentucky. You might have ridden with him at Paris, but talk a little bit about, you know, Nikki Hayden. If growing up, every flat tracker in America, everybody wanted to be Nikki Hayden. Uh, what was that experience like, and how fast was he? I mean, you see videos. He looks like he looked like he could get it on still and go out and possibly win races at the top level. Talk a little bit about that and what his speed was like. Oh yeah, that's for sure. I mean, there's there'll there'll never be another Nicky Hayden as we know. I mean, that guy was just phenomenal on a motorcycle. And um, yeah, like you said, every, everybody wanted to be Nicky. I mean, I remember seeing him for the first time. I think it was '03 uh, Springfield, where it was kind of like they had the Springfield Short Track Nationals, same time as the Amateur Nationals around that time. And that was the first time that I'd seen him, and heck, he was just probably what. 19, 20 years old at that time. And I was already idolizing him then, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was very fortunate to be able to, to ride with him only twice. I, I raced the first time I rode with him. And the only time I rode flat track with him was at Paris. And it was in, uh, February of 2016 as, uh, Jimmy Wood was having a, uh, test with, with race tech before, for Daytona. It's like, it was just me, Jared, uh, Mikey Rush, Kale Coltman, and uh, Aaron Colton. It was just kind of a private test, and then um, and then Nikki just came to ride with us, and 
man, we, uh, the first like session out on the track, I went out with Nikki and I went out behind him and it was just one of those surreal moments. Like you're, you're riding with your, you know, your childhood heroes, you know, and we started, uh, dicing it up and going back and forth. And I'm like, man, this guy is still no joke. I mean, I was like, I, I, we, we were just having fun, but I mean, I, I wasn't, uh, I went, I, we, we weren't just having fun. We were going at it. You know, it's just like any of us might be have two laps where you're just kind of playing around. And then after that, it's pretty much race on. And, uh, that was the first session out. And we, uh, we got together one time during that day. And I think it was basically who was this going to like stop or make a huge mistake. I mean, and we probably went 30 plus laps and, and I couldn't shake him. I mean, the guy was, you know, like you said, it, he could probably still come out and, and win a national. And I have no doubt that, that he could have, especially with him just coming back and training and really working for it. I mean, I have no doubt that he, he could have, but uh, yeah, that was, that was an awesome moment to, to be able to ride with him and just be able to yeah spend a whole day. And then we, we stopped in the infield, uh, you know, once that day, just to kind of take a breather. And he was talking, he's like, well, I've always been a fan of the bullet, man. You go get them this year. And I was just like, man, I, I'll just never, I'll never forget, you know, hearing those words out of his mouth, you know? So that was, that was, that was awesome. And then, uh, uh I spent, you know, quite a bit of time in Owensboro with, uh, with JD and, and the Gillum family, you know, off and on from basically the time that JD moved there in '09. I'd spend, you know, at least a week or a couple weeks in Owensboro, just training, hanging out with those guys. Cause, JD and I being childhood, really good friends. And, um, yeah, JD and I went to, uh, sunset downs. I think it was before Springfield, uh, Labor Day weekend. And we, uh, went there and we we're just riding the turn track. And I forget what GP, uh, Nikki was just getting ready to go for, but, uh, you know, he would always, um, you know, have a, a moto at the end where he would, time out whatever race that he was going to, whatever the time of that, that race would, that would be his last moto. But I mean, he would bust out, you know, several hours of this hot laps before that. And, uh, his cousin would be out there with basically a, a stopwatch. And if you came around, you know, one lap and, uh, you know, he throws his hat in there, that meant that your that your lap time was faster than the one before hat wasn't in there. You obviously weren't faster. So it just kind of gave you something that, to push forward and, and, uh, you know, we, I, I forget how many seconds he was faster than JD and I just in a single lap and he was, he was smoking us. And then we got going for that, uh, that, that final race. And he, he, he said, he said, Hey, you know, I'll use the end of the day with, you know, the, you know, one last, you know, session that's timed out for the next race I'm going to. So like, I know it's, it was, it was like, 90 plus humid degree day in Kentucky. I mean, it, it was hot as heck that day. And he's like, you guys can do it if you want or, or, or whatever, you know, so it was like, heck, we're not going to, I'm not going to back down. And literally it was probably, I forget how far into the race, but it was probably between half and three quarters on. And, uh, and he lapped me. <laughs> he lapped both JD and I, and JD is, you know, heck, as far as endurance and strength, JD is wicked. And, uh, you know, he, he lapped us and, and it was, I forget how, you know, I think it was probably a, a minute 20 or something on the lap time. And, uh, and he lapped us with the, you know, still, you know, core of the race left to go. And it was probably only a half hour moto or so. And 
that just goes to be testament of how fast he was and how good a shape he still was and how hard he worked still at, you know, 30 plus years old, um, you know, going after it. So yeah, just, uh, I just really to, from that point, And when I went there, I was like, okay, uh, it, it gave me a whole new, you know, uh, outlook on what hard work and, and training was all about. So, um, yeah, just definitely grateful and will cherish the memories of being able to, to ride with Nikki for the rest of my life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I consider myself lucky to be able to have raced against him, uh, my rookie year to 2002, he was, he was riding AMA super bike and, um, he would ride all the, most of the short tracks and TTs, uh, Springfield, um, short track TT and Tunica. And then he came out and rode Poovy's RS 750 at, uh, quite a few rounds. So, um, yeah, I consider myself lucky to, to be able to have raced with him and, uh, actually had some battles with him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Yeah. I, I actually have some, uh, some texts in my, in my phone. Um, it was funny when you were talking about Jimmy Wood and you guys were riding out at Paris. It, Nikki actually texted me trying to get a, get a hold of Jimmy, um, to get him to do a suspension. And, uh, yeah, it's just one of the things, you know, you kind of just scroll through your phone and, you know, go to clean stuff out and, I just, you know, it's one of those, those text messages you just save, you know, you don't, you don't delete them, but yeah. uh, you're, you're um, never going to delete that. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's in the cloud that that one's hanging there, hanging there forever. So, um, for sure. Now, like when I went to, uh, Valentino Rossi's ranch in 16 as well, um, you know, Nikki had been there a couple of times or quite a few times and rode him and, and, and Valentino were obviously close being teammates for quite a few years. And he was, uh, you know, just giving me tips and telling me about the place and yeah, just giving me tips about, you know, what to do, what to expect. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Just having, uh, Nikki Hayden in my corner, going to Valentino Rossi's ranch to ride. That was super cool. He was actually, Nikki was going to race this at the super prestigio in 2016. He was, he was going to do it. And he was actually, uh, he was testing for, for world Superbike with Honda, uh, in Jerez and then was going down to Valencia. So he was already in Spain at that time in December. And he, uh, he actually went and was going to, the, the team that, that Ferran Cardus rides for in Spain was actually going to build him a 450 because they had gone back, uh, you know, known each other through, you know, I think Ferran's team owner had worked on one of his teams in the past, but anyhow, he does when Nikki actually, uh, tore up his knee, you know, in 2016 and was really, you know, nursing his knee all through the winter before, you know, was, went back to world Superbike. That was actually him, trying out a bike in Spain, you know, getting kind of ready to go to, to, to do the super prestigio in, in 2016. And then he tore up his knee because he forgot his hot shoe and uh, uh-huh. hung it up in a hole. And a lot of people didn't know that that's how Nikki actually tore up his knee because he wanted to keep it all underneath the hat. Cause Hey, I wasn't supposed to be out here, you know, riding the Suzuki, uh, and, uh, and, and testing flat track. I was supposed to be here for, <laughs> for, for testing world Superbike, And that, that, you know, bummed me out big time and still bums me out to this day that, that he, you know, tore up his knee because it would have been badass to see him compete in the super prestigio. And then I would have been able to say that I raced against him as well. But, uh, yeah, this, this, 
things like that, you know, I'll, I'll always think back on and just think of how fortunate I was to say that I was able to, to, to be a friend and to, to ride and, and, and possibly even race with him for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I wanted to bring up, I think, I mean, I guess everybody kind of knew about it, but I don't think everybody knew how severe it was and, and what you kind of had to go through um, with that. But you came out to Texas Tornado Boot Camp, I forget the year, probably 14 or 15 or I forget the year, but ended up breaking your arm. I remember me and JD were sitting there and and uh, I remember at first, you know, you thought you just dislocated your elbow and thing and it ended up being a, a pretty bad break of your arm. And, um, I, you know, I don't think people know how, how bad that was and, and what you had to fight through. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure that thing still bothers you today. Um, you know, obviously, uh, doc Henry smalls kind of fixed you up and, you know, then I think ended up having some complications afterwards and having to have it fixed, you know, multiple times. And, uh, you know, was, was that, uh, you know, obviously I, I kind of knew a little, little bit of the inside story on that. Cause I was there and, and no doc Henry and kind of was, kind of was keeping up on it. And, um, but I mean, was that, uh, was that a big effect on, on a lot of things or was, was that something you had to fight through every weekend? Um, you know, talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, cause for, from what I know, I mean, it was, it was, it was a pretty big deal and, uh, you know, things you were able to do in some of the race you were able to win with, with basically one arm was, uh, was pretty impressive. Well, thanks man. No, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, not a whole lot of people, you know, like, like yourself know the extent of it. I mean, it was, it was really a game changer in my career and, uh, and it really changed the way that I had that I rode the bike from there on out. It was in April of 2014. So it was in between Daytona and, uh, and Springfield. So my first race for factory Harley was going to be at Springfield at the end of May. And, uh, I, I broke my elbow there. Yeah. On, on April 16th. And yeah, I won't get into the detail of how it happened, but basically yeah, somebody fell down in front of, fell down in front of me. I, I hit him, went over the, the bars and then the bike came up over and landed on my elbow in a, a push-up position and i was just trying to tell myself that it was a dislocated elbow but it was <laughs> just to try to you know I, I wanted to believe that but it was far from that yeah i mean i i shattered the, the radial head of my radius and then uh yeah compound fractured my ulna in two places and and had you know hairline fractures and like dr small said like 17 18 places so yeah like I got a, I got a plate pretty much from my wrist to the end of my elbow, elbow on my on my ulna, and then I got a, a prosthetic radial head uh, on my radius, and it was a, it was a serious surgery, um, and I so basically Springfield was less than six weeks after the after the accident, and I said, hey, I'm hello high water i'm gonna make my first race for factory harley i can't i can't miss that and uh yeah really i mean springfield especially what it was like riding with one arm i mean uh i i did some very intense physical rehab in uh in arizona before that but uh really i mean i probably shouldn't have done a whole lot up until the six week mark and i was planning on riding at just before the six week mark 
and go to you know rip up uh, or grab a tear off and pull it off i literally had to like lean my helmet down to my hand and pull it off and just like the the movement of my leathers like chafing against the end of my elbow and it's still being such a fresh wound and i have two screws going right to the end of my elbow literally it, it wore a hole down through where my incision was and mike will attest to this you could see the head of a screw in the end of my elbow after oh. i came off for the main event and i got fifth that day like it was pretty crazy that i got i got fifth but uh but yeah that was, that was definitely the worst race and then every weekend every race after that i, I really probably should have took a good majority of that season off if i was going to look back at it now like hey i shouldn't have pushed it i should have really just you know sat back and rehabbed the thing properly but i just kind of got back into racing and kind of rehabbed in between traveling and racing and, and uh you know heck i had the number one plate and, uh, and i wanted to, to to honor that so um yeah just between between having my elbow uh you know immersing that back to health all, all year long and, and then you know a couple of, you know mechanical failures in 2014 that was not not exactly the best year and then uh and then in the super prestigio the second one at the end of 2014 in december uh in the last qualifying session i was coming into the corner and i clipped the hole and went over the high side and i landed with basically with my arm extended all the way out and landed on my head and gave me a, a knockout concussion and uh landed directly on my elbow you know my bad elbow and and uh it dislocated my shoulder so it basically like brought my shoulder out of the socket from hyper extending it over the top of my head so it dislocated my shoulder broke my humerus from yanking it out of the socket so violently and uh yeah knockout concussion so yeah i was had to sit out for the second super prestigio and after I was in a sling for six weeks and uh, to, to let my shoulder heal up, I got into physical therapy for that. And I was on the arm bike, just kind of warming up. And I get like halfway through a stroke with my left arm and the thing would kind of seize up and then break loose and make a big old popping noise and kind of hurt. And I'm like, eh, that, that ain't right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, to make more of a long story short, you know, got x-rays and found out that they yeah, the uh, radial head uh, had, had broke and, uh, and basically came so where I just had like a partially dislocated elbow and uh, had to fly back down to, to Houston in, in January of 2015. And um, yeah, it was at the end of January, 2015. And uh, Dr. Small did a full revision and put another new radial head prosthetic in. And uh, yeah, basically had another six weeks to, uh, to rehab until I went down for Daytona and, uh, you know, in, in March. So that's the gist of that whole story there, and then, <laughs> and like like you said, it it, it did it, it it's bothered it still bothers me to to this day. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's probably three quarters of of my good arm, my right arm. You know that I haven't had any any injuries on. I mean, between the shoulder dislocation that still bothers me, and and the elbow, like my left arm is is definitely weak. So. You know, it, it changed the way I had to ride the motorcycle, and I, and I definitely had to compensate a lot more with my right arm and, uh, you know, and other muscles of my body. So, like, as, you know, time started going on, I really started, like, noticing, you know, uh, you know different parts of my body that were starting to kind of get get weak and tight just because I 
think it was all, you know, structured off that left arm. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a bad deal, man, but that's, uh, I'm not, I'm not you know, really trying to make any excuses because we all go through it. I mean, I know what your boomerang left arm looks like. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine wasn't as mine looks worse than yours, but it wasn't as severe. I, I just got mine just looks cool. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Now joints, joints. I mean, if you can just break a bone and get a plate in it or something, you know, bones are one thing, but if you screw up a joint, that's that's when it's really bad. You know, and like yeah. obviously with my left arm, like my shoulder most complex joint in the body and my elbow were jacked up. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I feel like it, it makes more to the story, you know, it's like if you can overcome things like that and, and still, you know, push on and win races and do good, you know, it just kind of shows your kind of grit and determination that much more. But, uh, you know, we're not, all of us aren't going to get through, you know, get out of the sport without some bumps and bruises. And I got my, my fair share of lumps to show for that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of grit, man, I mean, you were injured at the X Games a few years ago, and and since that accident, that was a a very, obviously, the most serious accident you've been in in your career. You've been a a crazy inspiration to not only people who've had similar injuries, you know, um, riders who have been paralyzed and things like that, but you've been an inspiration for... I mean, for me, dude, you're an inspiration just to see um, see your motivation and your your attitude and things like that. Um, it's really inspiring for a lot of people, and it's not easy. I mean, uh, I can't even begin to imagine um, what 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 life is like right now. But um, man, you you're so positive, and and it's it's just a really cool thing to see. And I've kind of wanted to ask you, like, um, what's that inner drive or motivation that keeps you motivated and keeps you smiling and positive and um you know how do you carry yourself so great the way you do i mean i'm sure it's not always sunshine and rainbows but um your positive attitude has been remarkable and uh kind of want to know what motivates you to to kind of keep going the way you the way you are well i appreciate that guys very much i mean that, that means a lot to me i mean i've I've definitely, you know, done my best to, to keep upbeat and and pushing forward and 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 living life, you know, and and not letting this slow me down as much as I can. Uh, and like you said, I mean, it's it's difficult. I mean, it's it's the most difficult thing that I've I've ever been through. Um, and and like you said, there's definitely you know daily struggles, but uh, I don't know. I, I I really just like to. You know, when people say it's kind of cliche, like it always could be worse, but like really it, it can, you know, and this, this injury has, has shown me that more than anything, just because I've been able to see uh, a lot of people that are, are worse off than me and, and how well I still have it, you know? So, um, you know, I, I think that keeps me, you know, pushing and, and, and staying positive just to be able to, you know, be grateful for what I still do have. But then, you know, there's just a number of people that have been so influential on me. And there's there's so many, you know, great athletes, you know, adaptive athletes like Doug Henry. And uh, there's another guy named Mario Bonfani. I actually met him like 12 days before I got hurt. He's a, a quadriplegic, so he's, you know, broke his neck and all four limbs are are affected. And he actually races cars now, but he's good friends with Mike Rush. And I, I met him at uh in las vegas when kelsey and i went out to watch 
Travis Pastrana do the evil live jumps. And we had met up with Mikey rush and his wife, Tandra. And then, uh, uh, Mario was with him. And, and that was only 12 days before I got hurt. And, you know, just so this guy, you know, just so, I mean, he was having more fun than, than all of us were. And, you know, heck he's, he's in a wheelchair. And I mean, his, his, he doesn't have hand function. I mean, he can, he, uh, you know, just to, open, you know, take a bottle, you know, open up a bottle of water is a task, you know? So it's like, but he's traveling around by himself, you know, doing his own thing, completely independent and, you know, things like, you know, people like him really motivated me to like, Hey, you can, you can get through this and, and, and there's still life beyond, you know, the, this injury. Um, and then, then there's my fiance, Kelsey, who, just never stopped believing in me and was by my side the whole time. And, you know, she, she kept me upbeat and, and, and kept me going and, you know, her being there with me, just, uh, you know, I, I was like, Hey, I, I can't give up. She's not giving up. And when she could have, you know, walked away so easily, like I got to continue the push for her and I got to continue the push for, you know, my family, my friends, and all the people that still believe in me. I think that's one thing that's always driven me so much is I don't, like, I, I don't want to fail myself, but I, the big thing that I have, like, I mean, not necessarily a fear of or something that bothers me is, like, failing others. So I, I feel like just being able to 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 still persevere and, and show others that, hey, I, I'm not going to let this uh you know, not that they're going to let this slow me down and, and change who I am and, and fail you guys is probably what's, uh, what's kept me going the most, but, um, it's definitely been a, a crazy ride, but it, it's getting better. And, uh, I still, you know, still have a great life. Like, I mean, I'm, I do more and, and, uh, yeah, I do a lot more than many, you know, able-bodied people still do. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still very fortunate and blessed to, to do what I do. Yeah. Like Corey said, I mean, I can't, can't even imagine. Um, but it's awesome to see your motivation and, and I mean, I guess, you know, being an athlete and, you know, especially a motorcycle racer, I think it, it gives you that, just that stubborn, you know, like, no, this, this is no, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. You know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm going for a championship right now. I got, I got a broken elbow. I don't, I don't care. I'm going to figure out a way through it. And, uh, that's awesome. I I remember a while back, uh, I think we were, I don't know if we were texting or, uh, sending Snapchats or something. You were, you were out pressure washing the house and I'm like, dude, I was just doing the same thing, you know? So it's, uh, you know, it's cool that, uh, yeah, I I mean, it's, it's obviously a big thing, but I'm, I'm glad to, you know, I'm glad it's, you know, you just got to look at it as I guess a bump in the road. What's, what's next, you know, come on, bring it. And, uh, for sure. One thing that like somebody's told me is like everything in life is only temporary, you know, like anything, you name it. It's all like, everything's always temporary, whether it's something good or something bad, it's only temporary. So it's like, I don't know, you know, how long temporary is going to be or how short it will be. But at the same time, you know, it's like, if you put it in the work and you have a goal and you push for it, you know, things are only going to get better, you know? So, you know, just, uh, it's, it's a new chapter in my life, you know, like obviously, uh, if I could 
you know, reverse it and take it back. Of, of course I would, but that's, uh, you can't. And, you know, I'm just going to do the best I possibly can to make the next chapter of my life the, the best I can as well, you know? So, um, yeah. So that being said, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, like part of me is like, it's almost like 50, 50, like 50% of like my effort is into my recovery as far as like my physical recovery, being able to get back on my feet. And then another recovery is, is life, you know, like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I to get some throttle therapy again, get, get into something to have some fun and get back living and doing the things that I love and enjoy to do, you know? And, uh, and it's, it's just getting life back on track, you know? So it's, uh, it's a lot of work. I thought like, you know, training to become a grand national motorcycle racer, grand national champion was hard. Like now this is like the, the greatest challenge of my life, but it's, you still look at it in the same demeanor, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy. A lot of what you just said, um, a lot of what you were saying, it reminded me a lot of what my dad was sick and going through issues. Um, you know, he was getting worse and worse and every day he'd get up at 6am, go to work. You know, he was in a little electric, uh, wheelchair type thing. Cause he couldn't walk 10 feet without having to stop. And, and, uh, man, it's just like the guy just never gave up. He went to work every day, and I remember he, he, you know, he wanted to get a heart and lung transplant. And they said for him to do that, the risk was like, it was like he had a 10% chance of like success. And he, and they're like, do you want to be put on the list with those odds? He's like, fuck yeah. He's like, I'm a motorcycle racer. I'll take those odds any day. So it's just, uh, yeah. we're wired a little bit different than normal people. And I think it, that that motivation and that grit as a motorcycle racer it definitely helps you in in tough times and and you're a good uh, a good story for that man it's really really re- inspirational but yeah i mean just wanted to touch upon that people ask all that. i still have people do like my grandpa or just people i know hey how's brad doing like everybody's behind you and everybody's behind all, all of our injured riders man it's just a tight niche community and and everybody kind of supports one another and then that's really cool. And you're back in the broadcast booth now. And yeah, you know, you did a great job doing that. It was really cool to have, uh, have you, uh, with Scotty doing that stuff. And how did you think the two to 2019 season played out from a broadcast side of things? You know, uh, did it play out the way you thought it was going to, you know, Briar winning the championship and, uh, what are your kind of predictions once we get rolling here in 2020? Yeah, no, 2019 was, was a great season. I mean, uh, it was awesome to be able to transition into to commentating with Scotty. It was always something that I thought that I'd be, you know, decent at after racing. This uh, after racing came a little bit sooner than what I I'd had planned, but uh, being able to do that was cool. And then, you know, continuing to to work with with Indian motorcycle and just stay involved in the in the sport I love. You know, helped me stay positive through it all as well. But uh, yeah, heck, 2019. I feel like it played out about way I thought it would. I mean, uh, you know, I knew Breyer was going to be, was going to be great in, in 2019. I didn't know if he was, I didn't quite think that he was going to be as good as he did. I just knew that he was going to be really good. I mean, obviously the last, you know, four races or so of, of 2018, I mean, went in Williams Grove and then had, you know, Minnesota mile hands down. I mean, uh, one there. I mean, I wish I was watching that. I remember being there in 2018, watching that race and being like, man, 
if I was if I was still riding this thing, I think Briar and I would be having one badass race right now because he was stretching the throttle cables of that Indian FTR. I mean, I think he he, he said he never left let off that whole race, and and I believe it because that's why he ran out of gas. So yeah, between between th- those two races and obviously the way he he performed at, at Meadowlands, I'm like, man, him him and Dave Zanotti and Michelle going to you know hooking up with. S and S and uh and obviously factory Indian with their support and really just, you know, Dave Zanotti having, you know, all the tools and things that he, you know, could possibly ask for. You know, Jake you could attest to this that, you know, I you knew that he was gonna they were gonna have some really good equipment and then, you know, Briar obviously working with the same team for, you know, I think three, four seasons going on, you know, and and then having that such a strong ending to 2018 that he's going to have the confidence. So I knew that, Hey, he, if anybody's going to take the number one plate away from, from Jared, it's going to be Briar. And then, you know, Briar got it going at Daytona and he just continued on that momentum. And I think it was basically from Atlanta. I was like, okay, if Briar just rode that good at Atlanta on a track that he would typically you know, struggle at, or, you know, struggle would be at still a top 10 or a fifth or something like that. But for him to, you know, come from, uh, you know, behind and run a harder tire and to get back up on the podium and then back it up on at, uh, you know, another car track, uh, in Texas, I'm like, Oh boy, this is, uh, you know, he hasn't even got to the tracks that he's really going to shine on yet, you know? So, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, 2019 was, was awesome to see, Hey, another, another, uh, young rider, obviously Briar's been, you know, super competitive and won, you know, quite a few nationals before last year and, and always been one of the guys, but, uh, you know, to be, you know, to become one of the guys to be a championship contender, it was just really awesome to see, uh, another rider, uh, you know, being in contention for that. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was awesome to see. And then obviously his younger brother, Bronson, uh, you know, it was, it was really fun working w- with him as well. And, and him getting third in the championship. I mean, it, and it just kind of attested to see how much talent he actually had because he was always on, you know, just on subpar equipment or running his own equipment out of the back of his own van doing everything. And then he gets on a factory bike and, and really shows, you know, what he has. So, that was, that was cool to see. And, and really, you know, to answer your question, going to 2020, I mean, even though we only got say 18 riders that are going to be competing, you know, making it into every main event, it's, uh, you know, I, I, the, the riders that are always at the front are in that top, in that 18 riders, you know, obviously, you know, minus a few that have gone to the, the singles class, but, uh, I really feel like we're we're shaping up to have a very competitive 2020 season uh, when hopefully and if it gets underway whenever that might be. But uh, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of you know great riders that have that are all, that are healthy, they're on top of their game, they're training hard, um, yeah, they're on great great equipment, and then obviously I feel that Harley Davidson is going to be. The, the closest that they've ever had been, um, you know, they're, they're showed some, some, some really good, uh, you know, potential last year. And, and I think with, uh, you know, Ricky Howerton coming on board with that team and just kind of 
showing his his insight and just uh, you know things that he's learned from both obviously the Indian and developing uh, the the Kawasaki, which is you know arguably the the best non purpose built race bike that is probably competed uh, you know against purpose built race bikes like the XR um, and the FTR. I really feel like hey, his 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 insight and and obviously you know Brian Smith with you know the tracks that he's really uh, competitive and and kind of the master on, um, and then Gautier and and uh, and Vandercoy, I really feel like you know Harley could could make it very competitive this year, which obviously is what we've been waiting to see for probably four or five years now. So um, yeah, I mean, but I still feel like. You know the two number one riders are going to be, you know, Briar and Jared. As far as like consistent every single weekend going for the championship, you know, unless like uh, you know a Robinson or uh, I guess I can't say Jeffrey Carver because he's not running a full season, but uh, yeah, Robinson or even Sammy Halbert on an FTR. See what he has, you know, that can compete for for the championship you know, really surprises us. I really feel like it's still going to be the same two riders between Jared and, and Briar, uh, you know, being consistent enough to go for a championship and not trying to doubt you, Jake, you better, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I hope you're, you're bringing your a game and, and maybe you find your chemistry on the FTR and you and Hackman can, uh, get back to your ways of nine, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, I kind of had a game plan coming in. I mean, I, Obviously, I'm a wild card, but I planned on doing, you know, just about every round. Um, you know, the West Coast rounds were a, were a question mark for me. I was going to see how the first three went. Well, first three didn't happen. First five didn't happen. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm ready. I'm sitting here ready, um, but just kind of waiting to see what the schedule looks like and uh, after all of this and see how it goes, which I mean, in a way might play into my favor, um, you know, might allow me to do a, a full season, whatever, whatever that ends up being. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, obviously got some good bikes, got some Indians and, uh, you know, but it's, I, it's fine. I joke. I mean, I've, I've got some good people helping me and, and, you know, obviously Hackman coming to the track and helping out, but, I kind of call it, I've been joking and call it me, myself and I racing, you know, I, I yeah. you know, spent a lot of time this winter working on stuff, getting stuff ready, put, put a lot of miles in going around the country, tracking stuff down. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, like I said, it's, uh, it was probably the worst time to, to try to go off and on my own and do this thing, but, but maybe, you know, maybe it might work out. Maybe, uh, you know, a low, low budget deal. It might be, it might be a shortened season and, uh, you know, be able to hit everything, but yeah, I, I, th- I think it could potentially help you, man. I mean, obviously, yeah, I'm, Hey, I might be in a championship yeah. hunt again. Maybe we never know. For, we never know. For sure. Not, not, not even with the season though, you know, not even yeah with the season, but this, uh, they always say that the wolf climbing the hill is hungrier than the one at the top of the hill. So, I mean, like when I won the championship in 13, obviously there wasn't the, uh, you know, several factory teams and lots of big money teams like there is now, but 
it still, as we all know, it just takes one good motorcycle and a good racer to, to win the motorcycle race, you know? So, um, with you having to put this much effort into it and, and having, you know, your, your own money and your own sweat and tears really, you know, on the line, it's like, maybe it'll give you the, uh, the fire that you needed to, to spark this, to, to push that much harder again. Um, and then obviously with the season, uh, you know, it's, I've, I've talked with, uh, Joey Mancari here, I guess was, uh, last week and they got all sorts of scenarios, you know, thought out like, Hey, if the season starts now, if this, you know, or at this race, we can, we can do this and, and vice versa, but it seems like, you know, that it might possibly run some double headers and, uh, obviously that would, you know, get more races in with, with less travel, at least get a, uh, you know, a 10 plus race series in. Um, and you know, even if we have to start in, uh, September or August, it, it seems like they got, a, a some scenarios worked out to where we could still get uh, a season on board and, and still have a championship on the line. So, um, yeah, I, I wish everybody all the best and, uh, obviously things, you know, can't get back to normal sooner because we, we all want to go back to having some fun. Can't wait. Um, we got a few fan questions here I wanted to run through, and then uh, we'll finish up with a higher low line. But, yeah, let's get right into the fan questions. The uh, fan questions are sponsored by Crusaders Motorcycle Club. They host the famous Medina TT. Make sure you check out their schedule. And as soon as we get racing here, find one of the races at 10 as a rider or a fan. It's one of the most awesome TT tracks in the country. It's located near uh, Buffalo, New York, uh, Medina. So Crusaders Motorcycle Club, we appreciate uh, you guys sponsoring this part portion of the show. This uh, guest says, um, hi, Brad. My son Landon says, it was awesome meeting you at Cedar Lake last year. I'm starting in the 65cc class. What's the best advice you have for somebody who is nine years old getting a later start in racing? Yeah, I... I think I remember Landon from Cedar Lake up there, Wisconsin, Minnesota border. That was, that was fun going up there in, uh, in October last year. I mean, I would say hey, nothing substitutes seat time, buddy. I mean, uh, the more that you can be on a motorcycle, whether it's on a, you know, XR 70 or an XR 100 in your front yard to, you know, any race that you can go to, I mean, just, uh, seat time, seat time, seat time to get practice. Um, and, and just never up, underestimate yourself. You know, that's what I was getting out of, you know, being a, you know, late starter. I mean, yeah, obviously a little easier for some people that started at, at five years old, but, uh, you know, say, Hey, you have, maybe you'll have a little bit of an upper advantage just because you're, you got some maturity and, and, and have learned some before you, you know, really got into it. So, you know, don't, don't underestimate yourself there and, you know, just, just put your heart and soul into it. Anything that you can do, you know, uh, every day, whether it's uh, working on bikes or riding or you know, your fitness, you know, just, just try to put something into it every day. And, and, and like I said, just ride, ride, ride. I mean, that's something that I was very fortunate to be able to do growing up is having a, a racetrack in my, my front yard. And it's pretty much uh practice racing motorcycles like, uh, people would pay, you know, practice baseball, basketball in school. So, um, yeah, the more practice, the better. Yeah. Everything Brad said pretty much covers it. I mean, uh, you know, training's good, you know, working on your fitness endurance, but there's literally no substitute for riding time. And that's kind of something that, you know, at 32 years old, 
I'm trying to ride my, my motorcycle more. Um, but yeah, I didn't start racing till I was 15. Um, I did a, maybe two or three races prior to that, just some local indoor stuff. But my first year racing outdoor flat track races, I was 15 years old. So definitely nine, you know, you got plenty of time to get dialed in. And, um, you know, for another example, Josh Hayes, you know, multiple times super bike champion, one of the fastest riders on the pavement of the last man, probably 50 years, maybe ever. Uh, he didn't sit on a road race bike at all until he was 19 years old. You know, he, I think he turned pro when he was 23. So, uh, and he went, he's down in history as one of the fastest riders ever to, uh, ever to do it in AMA Superbike. So plenty of time to get, to get going there and definitely, uh, good advice from Brad on, uh, just riding as much as possible. Another question for you, Brad, with all the advances in adaptive riding technology, could you see yourself possibly getting back into racing, um, in, in the future? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm glad that that, uh, question was asked because it's been something that I've been waiting to announce, but, uh, I think it's a, you know, this is just a steady time to announce it. Uh, I, I don't, plan on on getting back on a motorcycle i mean i've already rode a motorcycle a little bit like my buddy jacob layman he he set up his little uh crf 125 with a little hand shifter and i was able to ride around on my home track and i've rode some groms around like in daytona and springfield just with a buddy on the back and just just riding just for for fun you know it's like but i i don't ever plan to get back riding a motorcycle as as a hobby or or, or racing again, unless I can, you know, walk up the thing, up, walk up to it and swing my leg over to it like normal. Um, but what I do have planned is to get into a dirt car. And uh, actually, I've been working with uh, my friends from Hoosier Racing Tire and uh, developing to help develop a new flat track tire. But really, how I, I met those guys is that. Uh, so Iris Saunders, who is a product manager at, at Hoosier Racing Tire that I've been uh, working on with on his flat track tire, his son, Eric, who is my age, uh, was paralyzed uh, when he was like 18, 19, uh, riding motocross. And for the last five, six years now, he's been racing micro sprints. And uh, they actually, so so Irish and, and, and their family, they own um Plymouth Speedway, which is actually in northern Indiana, where they're running the Amateur Nationals at this year, and uh, they race micros there, uh, you know, pretty much every other Saturday night through the summer. And there's quite a few, uh, you know, other tracks throughout, uh, you know, Indiana and the Midwest that, that race micros. And uh, luckily for me, uh, to, thanks to to Rod Lake and a few other sponsors, uh, Dodge Bros Racing and and uh and rye and, and a couple others I, I got myself a car i got myself some gear and uh um i'm gearing up getting ready to uh to get in a car for my first time hopefully uh here next month and and hopefully depending on what happens with this virus and what the racing season uh has in store for us that i get an off weekend where i can uh get get my first race underneath my belt this year too and yeah, get some throttle therapy and some racing back. And, um, yeah, you know, dirt car racing was always something that I thought, you know, that I, I would want to do later on in life. Cause you know, they say with age comes a cage 
and uh, <laughs> I'd always thought that it'd be it'd be fun, you know. It's like obviously the the concept between flat track and 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 obviously dirt car racing is, is the same thing, you know. Just obviously uh, got to get used to being in a car, but um, yeah. So I, I, that's that's what I got going on, and I'm I'm stoked about it. I I can't wait to uh, to get in one and get some adrenaline back in my veins. That's yeah. badass. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, awesome, man. Yeah, I was I was curious too, man. I I feel bad for those guys. <laughs> Some Brad Baker in the in the car, dude. That's gonna be awesome. I'm I'm excited for you. That's that's big news, dude. And uh, shit, I'm looking forward to it. That that, that got me all excited, dude. I'm I'm pumped. Well, I appreciate it, guys. No heck, I mean the micros they're they're pretty affordable too. Like this this car was 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 really nice. I mean, uh, and I bought it for ninety five hundred bucks. So I mean, you could buy a pretty nice micro for for about the price you know less than you can build a, a framer for you know so uh so yeah no i'm stoked it'd be, be cool to get get a bunch of friends out to, to support me and then obviously like i said the the track the same tr- track that they're on the amateur nationals at and who's you're being involved with flat track now i think they're going to be they are going to be a big supporter of our, our sport and they're they're great people so i'm 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 really happy about that relationship with those guys yeah that's awesome yeah yeah well definitely looking out for that wish you wish you the best of luck with that and uh yeah be cool to see brad baker on the racetrack again it's on a dirt track again so last segment we got here we got our higher low line um sponsored by uh unsettled racing unsettled racing is uh made up of two brothers jackson west settle they race in uh, District 17. Family affair, Papa, Mimi, Mom, we're on the team, and uh, Dad's uh, Dad's in the military. So uh, check those two guys out, you know, to race uh, race in that area. So we got, uh, yeah, a list of questions here. Um, to uh, we'll, give you, we'll give you two choices. Pick one and uh, tell us why. But, uh, man, we're, <laughs> we're kind of putting you on the spot on the first one. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to want to answer this one. Well, I think I know what your answer is, what you got to say, but, um, (laughs) factory Harley or factory Indian. That's a tough one. Oh boy. Oh boy. Putting you on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, it it would have been different if you would have said XR 750 or FTR 750, but if it's factory Harley or factory Indian, then it's, it's factory Indian all day. Um, between, uh, you know, Gary Gray and Reed Wilson and, uh, just everybody at Indian, man, there's such a tight knit little family. I mean, Gary just called me yesterday, just to just ask me how I was doing and, and to BS, you know, and they're, they're, uh, it's such a cool company. Um, and, you know, them staying behind me after, after I got hurt and, you know, and just not to mention the, the motorcycles that they produce and even their street bikes, man, they're, they're, they're a badass company. I mean, uh, I obviously rode some Harley street bikes when I was doing some promotional stuff for them. And then I got to ride some, some Indian street bikes and I was doing things for them too. And really, I mean, I'd ride an Indian on the street any day and then, uh, you know, what they've, you know, done, done for our sport and done for the riders. Um, yeah, heck man, they're, they're, they're great people. And you're not saying that that factory Harley isn't, but it was just more, you know, more corporate political bullshit really with Harley is where it was, you know, and it just didn't, I didn't feel like I was, uh, 
you know, wanted or, or welcomed as much at Harley Davidson as where I, I, whereas I feel like I'm part of a family at Indian. Yeah. Good answer. Um, that's interesting stuff. Uh, next one's pretty good. Um, we've, we had some help from uh, one of the fan questions for this, uh, for this next one, but, uh, <laughs> better loop out Davis Fisher, rapid city, Brad Baker, sack mile. Oh, uh, I think Davis got to be beat big time. He looped over, he looped out going 80 miles per hour or more, more. <laughs> going, you know, winning his semi to get on the front row of a main event. So, I mean, I don't know how you could possibly beat that. I mean, like I, I was probably not even going 10 miles per hour. I looped mine. Yeah. Out. You were just clicking second uh, gear, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, uh, yeah, it was your second or third, just, just about to get to the groove. And I, and in my defense, I would not have flipped over backwards if I was on a motorcycle that shifted on the left-hand side, not the right, because <laughs> I was, I was screwed. Like literally right before I got to the groove, I'm, I'm leaned back, you know, pinned just about to grab with either second or third gear. And right before I get to the groove, the thing spins up big time, spikes up in the RPM big time, and then it hooks the groove. And that was just basically like clutching it. And uh, I obviously had my foot up on top of the shifter ready to grab a gear, not on the brake. So there was no stab in the rear brake to, to bring the front end back down. <laughs> I was just, before I knew it, I was on my ass and there was a tail section flying and, uh, I, yeah, that was that was definitely one of my most embarrassing <laughs> moments of my my career for sure. <laughs> yeah, I've I've done it at uh, the local indoor Timonium. I uh, I came from like a pretty bad start. It's really hard to pass there, and I won. It was like the 150 class, and I I went to pop a wheelie and I, I looped it over. My foot slipped off the brake and. I like ghost rode the bike into like another rider in front of me and he came back to the pits like like yeah I didn't mean the ghost ride I just fell off the back and the bike like coasted into him and he came into the pits afterwards pissed at me because he thought I did it on purpose I'm like bro I didn't mean to do that I just looped it over like yeah, out of control yeah that was just me That's being awesome. stupid yeah yeah so I, I, I think, think we all I think I think if, yeah like you said I think every great racer has had one pretty good loop out story for sure yeah i call yeah. it when you kx60 a bike because like those kx60s had like <laughs> a massive power band you just pin her and they they want to loop over on you the ones with the straps on the rear fenders like those bikes were mean yeah exactly but <laughs> yeah i don't think anybody will compare to davis doing it at, at 80 miles per hour on a on an ftr you know qualifying for a front row of a main event at the same time <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was definitely the on the on the cost to repair factor i think i oh, think davis geez. davis had you had you beat pretty big but <laughs> yeah definitely poor poor davis yeah 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 we we could laugh about it he's he's a good sport so um for, for sure so, so next one uh that's another tough one uh springer or a cupcake Oh, dang, that is a hard one. I mean, uh, they're, they're both pretty much cut from the same cloth. I mean, I think Kevin's actually literally cut from a Springer and Parker cloth. Uh, <laughs> so I, I got the first, so I'll tell a little story about, about Kevin's first solo or trip without his parents out west. So 
Uh, you know, Kevin is uh, is in the Atherton family. He's from White Pigeon, which is just over the Indiana border into Michigan. And uh, so they're going to Sacramento. uh, And I mean, they're meaning Chris or uh, Scotty Parker and Jay Springsteen are are picking Kevin up and going to take him out to uh, Sacramento. And I'm pretty sure that he was racing for Ron Wood at the time in the, in the junior class. And, uh, Kevin, and this is, you know, straight from Kevin, you know, it's his story. So he, he says, okay, uh, Scotty and Jay pick him up. And, and literally I 80 is less than 10 minutes from, from Dave and Vicky Atherton's place. And they, they weren't even an I 80 and bottle of crown Royal was handed to him. And the <laughs> cap was thrown out the window and Kevin yeah. is 17 years old, you know? So it's like Kevin's, uh, wild nature i feel like a, a a lot of it should be thanked from from sky parker and jay springsteen but uh <laughs> you know obviously you know springer man is a, a three-time grand national champion and uh you know one of the most iconic you know names in our sport um so you know it, it, it's pretty hard to, to to argue you know that uh you know that that kevin was, was more so than jay but uh you know, I feel like on like a given day, like somebody that would just, you know, demolish the field, you know, like where, where Springer was more of like a consistent, you know, rider running in the, you know, the, the top five and winning races where like Kevin, he was known for like winning by half a racetrack. Like when he won, he won in dominant fashion. And, uh, you know, that I feel like, you know, I learned a little bit from him on the balls outside when I, you know, having him as a mentor and, you know, 11 through 13, because yeah, I, I look back in some of the races that he won and it was just like, man, he was just in a completely different zip code against the best in the world and some of the best that or the best that have ever done it. So yeah, as far as a consistent basis, obviously Springer man's a, the, the, the better rider, but, uh, you know, on, on just a given event, like, yeah, there's, there's no competing against cupcake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we talked a lot about Brad Baker overcoming this and that, but man, overcoming, hanging out with cupcake for three years. That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty impressive <laughs> that you made it out alive. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Everybody used to say is like, Brett, Brad's taking care of cupcake. And, and there was a lot of truth to that. I mean, I was, I was, I was good for him, you know, and, and, uh, but you know, he was, I had to keep him in line during the week, but when it came to, you know, working out on race day, you know, it was, uh, you know, there was really no better guy to, to have in your corner and just the amount of experience that, 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 that guy had. And just, you know, we, we literally in 2013, I mean, obviously we were, we're on an even keel then, and, um, yeah, he, he helped, he helped me a lot. So, uh, yeah, I owe a lot to, to Kevin for sure. Castle rock or Salem pick one track in the Pacific Northwest that, uh, if you went to, what would you most look forward to? If we're going to pick any track in the Pacific Northwest, I'd pick my front yard <laughs> <laughs> and not, and not just because my front yard is because I feel like it's the most fun race track to ride in the Pacific Northwest. It's it like looks a, awesome, man. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. It's like a, like, closest thing that you could get to riding at, at Springfield short track and, and TT other than, than riding there really. But, uh, 
you know, to, to answer your, your first question, uh, definitely Castle Rock. I mean, obviously Salem, I feel is, is arguably the, the best indoor short track that we have in the nation that at least that we race bikes on. Um, so, I mean, it's a, it's a really awesome indoor short track and the guys in the Northwest are super fortunate to have that. But, uh, but Castle Rock's a, a sweet place, you know, it's like you guys, you know, I mean, you guys, like people that have just gone there for the national to Castle Rock, they really get it when it's at its slickest. Like when Jake was saying that it's just tedious and finesse and kind of got to, you know, ride slow to go fast. But I mean, I've been to Castle Rock when, I mean, it's uh tacky top to bottom and you can ride anywhere and it's just smooth, nice red clay. And, uh, it, it's a, it's a real fun track to ride both the, both the quarter mile and, and the TT. So, I mean, I, I really feel, I mean, it's too bad. Like I, I miss having, uh, grand nationals in, in the Northwest. And I really feel like if Castle Rock had a better facility around it, that the, that the, the racetrack itself is, is good enough to still hold a grand national. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've, I always enjoyed going to Castle Rock. I, I won the TT there. I think the first year we went back and, um, I think I won the short track kind of after after they stopped doing the double headers. They they would have just like kind of an outlaw short track the night before the TT. But but yeah, I mean I've I've ridden that place both ways. I've ridden uh, ridden it where it was just locked down asphalt, and I've ridden it where it was you know ice. Slick. And it all and it looks the same. I it's it's a it's a wild place. But uh, but yeah, I, I always enjoyed riding riding Castle Rock, but. Um, next, uh, next question, uh, Brad Baker's kicking back, relaxing, Bud or Miller? Miller, Miller high life for sure. I like it. My dad, my dad was a Miller high life guy. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I'm I'm actually, I'm actually drinking a silver bullet right now though. So, oh yeah, Yeah, it's fitting. It's fitting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The bullet has to drink a bullet. (laughs) yeah i'm swimming sure. with the shark yeah. as always land shark is my go-to but uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, guys. this one's tough too man i mean uh you talked about both these guys so far um we got two more for you but mark marquez or valentino rossi who you hanging out with who you going flat tracking with if you had to pick one? Oh, yeah, that's that's a hard question man i mean two man hard questions they're... <laughs> yeah heck man they're, they're they're both incredible athletes i mean obviously uh i mean look what what valentino rossi's done over his course of the years but now look what um you know mark marquez has done in a very short amount of time really um but uh you know and, I, and i've i've rode with both of them and you know valentino was a was a was a fierce competitor as well and like his ranch is no joke i mean that racetrack is i mean it's like uh like daytona short track at night you know moon dirt slick you know slick 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 like as slick as you can think uh but then it's off camber and uh you know off camber up downhill um you know it was uh it was such a technical racetrack and those guys were were super fast at it um so you know, but I really think that like Marquez, as far as like being able to to go anywhere, I think like obviously Rossi was really fast at that place because that's where he 
trains all the time. Not saying that he wouldn't be fast anywhere else, but I, I feel like uh, Marquez, he can figure it out and pick it up just about anywhere. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I like Rossi a lot. I mean, the guy's a, a such a down the earth guy, and, and he helped me out some with my my recovery too. You know, gave me uh, two helmets to to sell to go to raise some money, and 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 I still keep in touch with him too. And he's just a a very down to earth person for being the, the most famous motorcycle racer to really ever live. Um, but uh, you know, I, I feel like like Marquez is. I mean, he's arguably probably the most talented, you know, MotoGP rider or motorcycle racer there ever was. And I mean, he's still only 27 years old. I mean, if he stays healthy and he's able to, to race until he's 40 and it's going to be pretty crazy to see what, you know, type of records he's going to be able to hold. Have you, um, ever played the, uh, Rossi video game, the, uh, at the ranch, like have you ever played that game? Yeah, I, I did actually. So I, I actually, played it in Spain in 2016, the whole week before I went to Rossi's ranch, just to simulate the racetrack. So I at least knew the layout. So, uh, is it I similar? Have, That's what uh, I was going to ask you. Like how similar is it? Cause yeah. I played on PS4. I'm getting pretty competitive and I was going to get some, uh, some insight tips from Brad Baker since he's ridden the ranch. Dude, it's actually very, it's, it's spot on as far as the layout and really just like the, you know, the, the off camperness to it. Um, and obviously you can see even in the video game, like just looking at the dirt, like it, it obviously resembles like Daytona. So yeah, no, it, it actually helped a lot. Like, uh, yeah, there's obviously, you know, playing a video game and riding a motorcycle is different, but uh, I was at least able to know, you know, the lay of the racetrack, my first lap out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's the one thing that, that kind of stinks for flat track. I mean, road race guys, uh, car racing guys, they they can play video games to learn the tracks. But yeah, Only I guess four corners. I, I was gonna say, I guess for us, it's just you turn left and then you turn left again and then yeah. you turn left again. Yeah. But but yeah, sure. but it it would be pretty cool though. I mean, heck, uh, it, I'm I'm waiting for like all this high racing that's been going on. It's, it's been pretty cool. I mean, obviously, especially in for the cars. I mean, those simulators are, I mean, they're very, very realistic, uh, on, you know, the, I guess the way that they, the feel of driving them and just, uh, you know, what you do, like, it'd be cool if they ever made a simulator where you're actually sitting on a bike and had to have the body positioning and the lane angles and do the things, you know, to where, you know, it's kind of similar as a simulator is, is driving the car, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard of, well, I've, I've actually got to, to drive, um, I racing rig a couple of times. Our, my buddy Paul Lynch, um, has one and yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty impressive. Like, and, and it's cool. It has everything, sprint cars, NASCAR, Indy car, what, you know, whatever you want. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's totally into it. And, um, I actually, actually, well, I mean, cause that's all we have to look forward to now is simulated, <laughs> simulated racing or, you know, video games. Um, but yeah, I was I was just reading something recently, and they were talking to some professional drivers, and they're like, "Man, it's it's just like driving a real real car." He said the the only thing that they have not figured out yet is the feel of the sidewall of the tire, and I'm like, okay. "Wow." Like that's yeah, that, like, yeah, that'd be pretty yeah, hard yeah. to figure out. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know. I, yeah, 
I mean, even in flat track racing, different tires and tire pressures, you know, you could feel the sidewall. So it was, it was kind of interesting to, sure. to hear that and how realistic it was and, you know, what, what these, uh, computer whizzes have to have to figure out they got to figure out the sidewall of a, a goodyear or <laughs> a, a hoosier and uh figure that well, out for, but, uh, for uh, sure heck give me a year or two i bet they'll be there too i mean yeah uh, yeah i'm sure pretty wild <laughs> i i, I want to get one because like uh kevin swindell who uh i don't know if you guys know who kevin swindell oh, yeah. is, but he was yep. paralyzed yeah he was, he was paralyzed four years back or so at, at knoxville and uh, he won the World Outlaw I races uh, race uh, this last week, I believe. So I mean, it was pretty cool. I've been thinking, like, man, if I could get myself a simulator, I could use it as training for driving my car and uh, be something to do during the winter, you know? Oh yeah. But got, yeah, for got sure. Go out forty or fifty grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't need that much. If uh, obviously you got some connections, but um, if. Uh, if you're if you're looking about doing it, uh, hit me up. I'll get you. I'll get you hooked up with my buddy Paul. He, I wouldn't say he did it low budget, but you know he he uh, he he got his set up for a pretty affordable price. I would say so. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I can get you. I can get you hooked up with him and see what he's got and get you get you shopping around and get get you into one. But uh, uh, one last one last question. Another another tough one. Another tough one. Uh, All right. Lima half mile or Pomona? Oh boy. That's the toughest one yet, but <laughs> I, I actually, I don't think so. I mean, I love Lima, but man, Pomona was awesome. I mean, yeah. Pomona was my favorite, favorite racetrack hands down. So yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's one race that I was so sad to see go away. And, uh, and one that like, if there was one race that I'd want to see come back, you know, whether I was able to, obviously race it or not, it'd definitely be Pomona. Just there was something about that place between it being, you know, the material of it and then just being a paperclip, you know, it was like a mix between a mile and a half mile. And, uh, you, know, you just come into the corner and you just flick the thing sideways and get the thing turned at the apex and come off on the guardrail. And there's always different lines and, um, yeah, it was just a whole lot of fun to ride, and I'm sure you could attest to that, Jake. You, you had some really good finishes there as well. Yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah, I've never been a huge fan of Lima for some reason. I don't know. I mean, best I've ever done there was third. Um, but, yeah, I can never figure that place out. But, yeah, Pomona, whether I did good or bad, I I don't know. Like you said, there was just something about that place. Um it's unique, you know, big, sure. big straightaways, but tight corners and the dirt was like nothing else. And yeah, I, I, I miss Pomona just this, you know, the location, I'm not a huge California fan just cause you can't drive anywhere without being stuck in traffic. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's right in the, yeah, it's right in the motorcycle, you know, Southern California, right in the motorcycle capital of the world. So you get to see a lot of sponsors and friends from that area. And just, yeah, the whole vibe of it was uh, was definitely cool. So uh, I definitely, yeah. definitely miss that place. No, I'll, I agree with that, man, for sure. I mean, the, the dirt was wild, too, because between it being so dark and then, like, the glare of the lights on your face shield, like, if there was a hole and you hit it, it's like you didn't really see it. It was like it, it it just came out of nowhere, and then it's like you almost had to remember where it was because it was just yeah. between the dirt being so dark and the glistening of the light. It was like 
there's no way that you're able going to be able to see where the holes were. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the, man, one of the saves of the century. What was that? That was 2013 <laughs> when you were going for the championship. You had a yeah. big moment. Damn, damn near tossed her away. That would have been a, a championship tosser away too. And yeah, uh, yeah that, that, that was wild. I mean, that, that that actually that same hole, I think both Mikey Martin and Sammy Halbert both went down in that area that hitting that hole. And yeah, I mean, there's one, one picture where, I mean, I'm completely sideways. I'm up over the tank and my looks like I'm about to try to do a knack knack off to the right side. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was able to save it, but, uh, I don't know. I, I have so determined that that year because I, it, I'd always wanted to win that race because I'd finished second there, you know, the first two years before that. And I'd heard, you know, rumor that that could possibly be the last race that we we're going to have there. And I was like, man, I'll, I want to win this race because uh, I want to finish this uh, championship with the style and, uh, and, and possibly win the last Pomona. And obviously they, they ran it again the next year in, in 14 and that was the last one. And, yeah, they they still have the racetrack there. They run straight rhythm there, so I don't know. Maybe maybe there's still hope that we can get a race back there one day. Yeah, maybe we can do a flat track straight rhythm. We'll just have a drag race down the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, I get good starts. I'd be all right at that. <laughs> yeah, heck. I mean, I, I went and seen it in, in 2015, and uh, they tore down all the hedges and whatnot, and obviously the front straightaway was all tore up from when they did straight rhythm, but I mean – you give a guy and a grader and, and a crew, you know, a week there and we could have a, 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 a racetrack again, no problem for sure. So yeah, heck you never know. It, uh, it would be, be sweet to have, you know, especially the way the sport is right now and being in that area, I think it would be a, a successful event. Yeah, I agree, man. I, that'd be cool. Um, no, nah, it was a good show, dude. We appreciate you taking the time to come on talk with us like i said a lot of fans have asked how you how you've been doing and and how i just wanted to catch up with you and see how things are going i didn't I don't know if i even got to saw you see in daytona um everything kind of moved in moved out pretty quick so um but now sure. you're doing a great job everything you're doing man we really appreciate it um i had one fan that wrote in i don't have a question but i just wanted to say let brad know we appreciate for him um staying involved with the sport and you know and doing what he's doing so we all appreciate it man and thanks again for for coming on our podcast and hopefully see you sooner than later yeah heck yeah guys well it's it's my pleasure um it's to everybody and and i and i appreciate everybody's support i mean that's been you know the biggest thing that's got me through all this is how many people have believed in me and been behind me so i really appreciate that guys have been been awesome to be on the show i'm 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 really happy with what you guys are doing with it it's been been fun to listen in flat tracks and i needed something like this so um yeah heck yeah i hope that uh everybody stays safe and this virus ends uh, more soon than later and we can get back to racing and doing the things that we love yeah man yeah Amen. Uh, thanks brad we'll uh, yeah. catch up with you all soon right. all right thanks guys take care all right you too see ya later brad the bullet that was a good one jake i, I love i love brad man he's such a good talker and carries himself well and it was it was good to have him on i actually he had the nickname the bullet after he won the championship i'm like dude you need to like he's like you need to brand this bullet nickname like 
change change your social handles you know start calling yourself brad the bullet dude it flows and uh it's kind of what fans know him as now so it's it's pretty cool yeah yeah like i said i mean earlier he's we and him had some battles and it was it was always fun racing with him and uh yeah i mean the guy was a beast like i said i mean growing up at castle rock on a little groove but that guy he wasn't afraid to hold the throttle wide open man like like i said he he did well at just about every track was slick whatever but man that guy was he just wasn't you know wasn't scared on the on the cushions man that guy he just was afraid to hold her wide open and he was pretty impressive on that stuff I loved racing Brad too. I mean, he was, he was certainly aggressive, but for me, like we always race each other clean. Um, you know, he always, he always, whenever you saw Brad near you, you always pushed yourself to go a little bit harder. Cause you know, if he was there at the end, he was going to try and, and take that spot from you. And both my podium finishes that I've, I've gotten in the twins class, you know, I've, I had to pass Brad late in the race to, to get there. And, that's not easy to do when you're trying to battle Brad Baker for a podium. The guy is going to give you a run for your money. And uh, it could be, hell, it could have been battle for 11th place. And that guy is just, he's just um, just always so confident and motivated to, to just do well in the sport. Like it translates over to four wheels very, very well. And, and a racer of Brad's, um, like he's so competitive in his talent level. It's going to be, He's going to be a, a handful for those guys in the car racing. Yeah, for sure. I, I always thought that, too. I've always wanted to get you know, a micro sprint or something and give it a try. But, man, man I, I feel, I feel like, like it would be dangerous. dangerous. Like, like, on a motorcycle, on a motorcycle yeah, yeah, you kind of kind bump, of bump somebody, somebody. But when you when got you a got roll, roll cage, cage and a seatbelt, look out. Look out, right? Here we come, I mean, I guess, I guess you tear shit up and might be a little more expensive. and uh, But man if somebody you know it's a last lap last corner on a bike you know you kind of got to set it up and you kind of got to be within some sort of distance but shit in a car you're half a straightaway back just don't shut off right yeah. i mean what well, i mean what's the worst thing gonna happen you got to buy you know some new a-arms or whatever <laughs> you know and there's shit. all kinds of arguments and fights in the pits so yeah like- I live for that shit. Like, yeah. sign me up. <laughs> Just every redneck and their brother and their uncle Donnie coming at you in the pits because you <laughs> you crash them out of the sea main. I, I it'd be so fun, man. I just, I mean, I, I have a car racing background. My uh, my grandpa Fitz Charles, he's in the Sprint Car Hall of Fame actually in Knoxville, Iowa. He was a a really well known sprint car racer um, in in the, on the East Coast. You know, competed Outlaws and. It's got like I don't know, like 400 sprint car wins in his in his years, and uh, I've been telling him like, dude, get me in a car, get me in a car. And he's like, you get me on a bike, I'll get you in a car. I'm like, ah, shit, dude, I'm not putting my 73 year old grandpa on a bike, but uh, yeah, that it'd be fun, Jake. Like I texted you the other day, like uh, we need to. I saw like lawnmower racing on YouTube. I was like, dude, <laughs> we let's build some lawnmowers and go race. Like. Can you imagine the carnage we would uh we would cause like racing lawnmowers? It'd be awesome. Yeah, I think we could do better in lawnmowers. I mean, you, I mean, your grandpa is in the uh, Spring Car Hall of Fame. I'm pretty sure you're in the the Slick Willies uh, go kart uh, Hall of Fame Hall of Fame track. Yeah, well, right now there. I have a flag. Our local go kart track. I have a flag next to my name. I don't know how I got it, but we went we went there for. I think it was something for Briar, maybe Briar's bachelor party. We went there or something, and Briar didn't we, show, 
Did he have a yeah. bachelor party already? I wasn't invited. No, what the hell was it? I, I don't know why we went there. We went Connelly's? there for something. Connolly's yeah. party? Yeah, well, I went to sign up. She's like, oh, you have a flag next to your name. I was like, what the hell does that mean? She's like, I don't know. You must have been rowdy the last time you were here, argued with, the, argued with an employee. You have a warning. I was like, warning? I was like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I was, I, yeah, Slick Lilies was our was our deal. It's like a local go-kart track. And every Tuesday, they had like a special deal. Me, Jake, Chris Carr, Briar. We could go and race like for five hours for like 40 bucks. And uh, I had the track record for a little bit. And I was getting ready to like go under a certain time. And they stopped the thing and changed the track like mid middle of the session so we wouldn't hit a certain time uh i don't know we have fun though man it, i mean there's a bar inside the go-kart track and then you can go go-karting so it's it's pretty fun we, we we enjoy that yeah yeah you were pretty heated over that deal i don't <laughs> yeah well what else is going on man anything else we can talk about before we wrap it up uh <laughs> there's no nothing. there's nothing i mean no news no, I, I don't know. I've, I've been trying to figure this whole thing out, and it's like, man, May 30th, is it going to happen? But, man, there's like, seems like there's more and more restrictions being put in place. So I don't know if, you know, this is, this is, uh, we're hitting the peak and we're going to start going the other way here pretty soon, or if, if we're in for the long haul. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess all we can do is, uh, yeah, I don't know. Play come PlayStation. Up with, come up with more conspiracy theories on why this is happening. <laughs> I'm um, so mad that this happened. And then, like, I've become a gamer again. Like, I used to game when I was, like, younger. I'd play, like, Super Nintendo, and I was, like, really competitive at Mario Kart and things like that. And and then I seen this iRacing thing, and I'm – yeah, I've been riding my bicycle and training and working on things, different projects and stuff like that. But I'm a competitive guy. I see lap times getting posted on this game. And I'm like, dude, I need to get in this. Like, I just want to be competitive in something. And I've been playing this Rossi game. And anybody listening, they have PS4. Uh, add me, add, add Carter. We, we play quite a bit. So it's, uh, it's fun, man. I, I thought about hitting Rossi up and seeing if he could add some more tracks or or something just i mean the game's like pretty old but i just heard about it so this is like a new thing for me i mean everyone's like oh yeah i bought that game like eight years ago i'm like oh shit i didn't know it existed like guess this is cool like it's flat track (laughs) (laughs) make a flat track game yeah i think they actually have uh just some little short tracks some little ovals on there too yeah you can't play online though like oh you can't play play you can play like the computer guys the bots or whatever but Rossi need. I also need to tell Rossi he needs to step his game up because I've been racing Rossi on his own track and I'm beating beating him in. Like I'm lapping him, so I don't know what his deal is. He needs. Well, to you, up. you have to go into the settings and take it off beginner mode. <laughs> I think that's what you have to do. I boosted it on hard. He still is like I. I was gonna ask Brad what his lap times were at the ranch because you know I've never rode an actual bike there, but I have my. Uh, my eye racing times i was gonna i was gonna see where i stand uh <laughs> but nah dude there's nothing going on we appreciate you guys tuning in sharing the shows reviews on itunes helps we appreciate that and just everything else you know carter jake myself our sponsors we we appreciate it and um 
want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors before we wrap this up. Definitely a big thanks to Grinser Motorsports, Harley-Davidson Indian Motorcycle Service Performance and Pre-Owned Sales in Elkhart, Indiana, just over the um, just under the Michigan border. They have 55 plus years of experience running dealerships. They used to own a Harley dealership and have tons of experience. They are also a sponsor of the sport with the Cool Beth Nilla race team, uh, who uh, Sammy Halbert's riding riding for them this year, and Vancouver Flat Track Club V F. TC. They're a group of friends who like to go fast. They host races in Canada. Uh, make sure you check out their website, VancouverFlatTrackClub.com. Social media. They have some social media channels with a lot of cool stuff. And they do a really good job with their social media platforms. And uh, I think that's really cool. And make sure you check them out. And when the races get going, make a trip up to Canada, eh? And, and check out some racing. And big shout out to our friend, Mike Hacker. He actually just called me while we were on the podcast here. Um, I want to give him a call back here when I get done because I might be needing some sort of mortgage, refinance, home equity line of credit. Mike, hit him up. Social media, Facebook, Mike Hacker, or his email is mike.hacker at presidential.com. That's all I got, Jake. Yeah, we got, uh, we still got some flat track Jeopardy coming. Um, we got, uh, we got one recorded in the books. It's going to be coming and i think we got kind of a podcast battle jeopardy thing kind of happening coming up so yeah keep looking out for that um yeah so hopefully that's uh you guys like that and kind of something to fill the void there but uh yeah it was fun last one we did so look out for that and uh yeah quarantine day 347 We'll see you uh, see you next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening guys. Peace.